0: 3rd.
1: everyone you are listening to the road of his draft series brought to you by the FFPC. i'm your host hassan rahim and you can find me on twitter at hrr5010 and today i'm delighted to be joined by matt Harmon. you may know matt harman as the creator of the popular reception perception series or by his work over on nfl.com you can follow matt at matt Harmon underscore byb matt thanks for joining me how's it going
2: yeah, my pleasure, man. Uh, it's good to be talking to you. This, this draft season has been really fascinating to watch everything unfold, and I'm excited to talk some prospects and some NFL news today.
1: Yeah, and that's what we're going to be talking with Matt about. If you guys haven't read his popular Reception Perception series, I strongly recommend you look it up and read his stuff for yourself. It's very in-depth, and it's fantastic, and it's a great way to get a handle on some of these wide receiver prospects. But before we get into it, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a roto NFL pass to the NFL podcast homepage, roto podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content and helps support the pod. Also, you can support the pod by subscribing 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 to and rating the RotoViz Radio channel on iTunes. Do that, and you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name on it, and then listen to future episodes to hear if you are the winner. Also, if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the RotoViz writers and podcasters, email us at rotavizradio at gmail.com and we'll get that set up. All right, I know we mentioned that Matt agreed to come on to discuss wide receiver prospects, but I really want to get his thoughts a little bit on free agency. There's done a movement, most recently capped by the cowboy scudding Dez Bryant. So while Dez is still a free agent, Matt, what are your favorite landing spots for Dez and where do you think he'll make the biggest impact?
2: Yeah, this is a tough one. I've kind of struggled to like find a super obvious landing spot for Dez Bryant. I know that like right away, the initial reaction, especially because he kind of fueled this, was like he wanted to stay in the NFC East, but I don't really see the fit. Or need for him on any of those teams? Uh, Maybe the Giants, but I think we're all kind of forgetting they still have Brandon Marshall on their roster. Maybe he won't be come the beginning of the regular season. But, you know, for now, he still is. And they have a really good trio outside of him anyways, obviously, in Beckham, Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram as they get wide receiver tight end hybrid. Uh, I think Dez does need like a specific fit and I honestly think he needs a role change. Last year when you look at his season obviously from a raw production standpoint he was lower than what you would have expected, but I think a lot of that is just a physical decline. I tweeted this out like with his reception perception he finished below the 10th percentile for NFL players in separating versus man and press coverage. Um I just don't think he can Fill the role of like a top number one X receiver on the outside anymore. I think he kind of needs to go along the lines of a uh, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, who's extended his career and been really productive, playing like a big slot receiver role. I think if Des can find a home where he can do that, I, I think that would be a really beneficial move for him. Uh, three three teams that that do kind of stand out from a, a perspective of. Their quarterback is willing to throw into tight windows, which needs to happen with Des Bryant, obviously, because, he, like I mentioned, he's no longer an elite separator. And they have a need at the position, especially down in the red zone. Is the Seahawks with Jimmy Graham moving on? Like, really, they only have Doug Baldwin as a proven pass catcher. I think Tyler Lockett could have a rebound season, but that's a pretty barren depth chart. Uh, Green Bay, I think, you know, he's probably on a similar level to Jordy right now, so it's not like a necessarily – A one-to-one upgrade, but it would provide them with a lot of red zone capability with Devontae Adams, Jimmy Graham, and Des Bryant down there. And then one kind of sleeper team that I feel like enough people aren't talking about is the Houston Texans. You know, they have Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins, obviously, as big play guys, especially Fuller, of course, like big play receivers. They have Watson, who was willing to throw to them in tight windows last year. I put a piece on NFL.com using our next-gen stats to show how he was a top-six passer when throwing into tight windows last year based on multiple efficiency categories. So I think that's a fit stylistically there. And also it just kind of completes like a maximization of their offense. You know, like last year when when Watson was rolling, they were a, a top flight passing attack. And I think Des Bryant could slide in between Fuller and Hopkins on in eleven personnel formations and, and would be kind of that big slot receiver for them. So, you know, that that's kind of like a sleeper team to watch out for. I'm actually a really big fan of that Texans landing spot because, like you mentioned,
1: they'd, he'd be able to play that big slot. They also, CJ Fedorovitz unfortunately had to retire early and the only tight end so far in the roster are Ryan Griffin and Steven Anderson. So I guess having him there would be interesting. I really like your Packers call and apparently the Packers are one of the four teams that have shown interest in him, the other three being the Ravens, the Cardinals and the Bills. I guess from a fantasy perspective, we'd want him to sign with the Packers, but I think the Texans would be really, really intriguing.
2: Yeah, yeah. The the only one on there that would be rough is Buffalo. Like, I don't know why he, I don't know why he would want to go there at this point. But yeah, man. I mean, look, just looking at the Bills right now, I get why they would have interest because I think their receiver core is is kind of a nightmare. But like their entire offense, just on paper, if you look at it with Richie Incognito, I, I guess, retiring. Their offensive line's a nightmare. Obviously, they're going to take a quarterback early in the draft. But beyond LaShawn McCoy and, and, I guess, Kelvin Benjamin and, you know, Charles Clay, there's, like, nothing to speak of on that offense.
1: So we just got to keep our eyes peeled on Des and see what's going on. Another kind of a surprise move on his third team now in the league. Sammy Watkins is now a Kansas City Chief. How do you think he slots in with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? And, of course, with Patrick Mahomes on the center.
2: Totally. I love I love the idea from like a real football perspective. Obviously, for fantasy, it's going to be kind of a a nightmare trying to divvy up that that offense, especially because, look, I mean, I think, you know, Travis Kelsey is probably locked in for 100 plus targets. Tyree Kill locked in for 100 plus targets. But that's the big question. Like, does Sammy Watkins come in and eat away at that? Because, you know, if you look at the Chiefs passing attack last year, Albert Wilson was the second most targeted wide receiver, and I don't even think he has 70 targets on the season. So, and, and he couldn't be any more of a different player than Sammy Watkins. Like Watkins is is a traditional outside, you know, at least plays the role of a number one receiver. I don't think he is a number one receiver, but he's definitely different than Tyree Kill. Obviously, way different than than Albert Wilson. But I think it puts a lot of stress on opposing defenses because you know Watkins can do a little bit of the two things that, that Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are good at being obviously a, a vertical threat and also a threat down in the red zone. So it's a great move for the Chiefs offense, but I struggle with kind of for fantasy. Like how are you going to divvy up the opportunity between those three? And then not to mention, like I think maybe they could throw the ball more Kansas city this year, given the fact that their defense has taken some steps back. I, I think they, they look like a team that's going to be in a lot of shootouts, but Even if we think Mahomes eventually is going to be a tangible upgrade on what Alex Smith gave them, obviously the Chiefs believe that because they're handing over the reins to to Mahomes with conviction. Uh, But right away, it's going to be tough to be more efficient from a statistical perspective than Alex Smith was last year. So I think I I want to see how it shakes out. You know, where is Sammy Watkins going to fall in drafts? I think Tyreek Hill probably will go around the same range he went last year, which was already really high. It might be a situation where I just kind of want to take whichever one of them is cheaper.
1: Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing so far through some of the early drafts. We saw Jarvis Landry move from Miami. He's now in Cleveland, and he's got Tyra Taylor as his quarterback. How How do you see that pairing working out? And do you think Landry continues to just be the beast that everyone knows him to be, that
2: 100-plus catch guy? Yeah, I, I talked about this. Like, I feel like there's some mixed opinions on these trades for the Browns, uh, I wrote a piece on NFL.com last month, uh, grading every offseason trade. Uh, and I loved both of these moves for the Browns. Like, I know that there are questions about Jarvis Landry and is he worth all this money when you, he's when he is just you know quote unquote just a slot receiver? Is Tyrod Taylor worth giving up a, a third round pick, which could be a potential starter? When you obviously hope that whatever rookie you draft this year is your long term solution, not him. But for Cleveland. You kind of have to overpay to acquire players and they really need players. I mean, their offense last year was obviously a nightmare. And I think both of these guys can help in that regard. Like Tyrod Taylor is going to move the offense. He's not going to turn the ball over like Deshaun Kaiser did in an outrageous clip last year. You know, Jarvis Landry for whatever you want to say about him, he, he just produces, he produces well in that short area slot receiver role. He's pretty solid after the catch. I mean, I think we know who he is at this point. It's it's for fantasy. It's going to be about opportunity. I think he's definitely going to flourish. I think he's definitely going to going to help out the Browns. Um, I, I struggle to see a scenario where he puts up the same type of target totals that he did in Miami. But that might be good for uh, how efficiently he's used. I, you know, he was such a short average depth of target player in Miami. I, I could see him running more intermediate routes because i think when you look at his reception perception he's he's capable of that obviously he's not going to ever be a vertical threat he's not going to survive on the outside but but they obviously have josh gordon for that and Corey coleman is still there so i think landry flourishes in that role um and if there's any sort of draft discount on him i i think i might be tempted to take it just because again he's a proven producer he's with a solid quarterback that that likes his style of receiver i mean Kyle is a good deep passer, but he also doesn't like to force the ball into tight windows, and obviously Landry is a player who separates really well. So I I overall just love both of these moves for Cleveland, and I think that it could really work out – more more than more than people think just because again landry is just a a proven producer last free agency question we'll round this up by talking about your guy
1: alan robinson he's no longer jacksonville jaguar he's now a chicago bear with mitchell trubisky throwing in the ball what are your thoughts here and how do you think he his role changes in the in the matt Nagy offense
2: this signing uh, this is another piece that i wrote on nfl.com if you if you want to go to nfl.com slash Harmon, you can check it out sorry for the vain vain (laughs) link plug there but uh it is what it is i like the reason I like this signing so much is because if you look at Allen Robinson in his down year in 2016, the way the Jaguars used him was on a lot of really low percentage, inefficient targets. He saw he was top two in the amount of tight window targets he had. That's a pass where he has less than a yard of separation. Uh, again, this is per next gen stats. He was top two in facing press target in targets against press coverage and top two in targets when he was well, operating along the boundary, which is, again, within a yard of the uh, sideline. So, the all again, all of those targets are very, very inefficient, not a lot of layup routes over the middle of the field. And I think if you study the way that Matt Nagy and the Chiefs offense have, has used wide receivers in the past, you see a lot of layup throws, you know, they were, him and Andy Reid were really some of the first guys to start using a spread offense as kind of a base formation, and I think you could see a lot of that in in, in Chicago now, I think they're going to spread the field, and and he's really there, there to just set up to gobble targets, because they have a lot of nice players that I think are going to, again, help them spread the field, and Taylor Gabriel is an exciting signing for them, Trey Burton, I think they've already kind of telegraphed that. He's going to be that Travis Kelsey, move him around the formation, play him out of the slot, uh, tight end. Really, uh, at wide receiver, I think they'll draft somebody, but right now, Kevin White's expected to, to, you know, make some sort of contribution. And that, that obviously hasn't gone so well. So I think Robinson's a lock for like 130 plus targets. And I think the way those targets are going to be distributed this, this year is going to be far more, uh, efficient and safer. And again, more of that layup throw variety than we've seen, uh, from the last several years of his use.
1: Yeah, and I'm actually pretty excited because at following the 2015 Allen Robinson breakout, you had the 2016 kind of down year for him, and then he missed all of 2017. So you're probably getting some of that recency bias soaked discount in Allen Robinson in drafts right now as we go through the offseason or even in your startup drafts. But we brought Matt Harmon on to talk about hard receiver prospects. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Matt Harmon is a creator of Reception Perception. For all those who don't know Matt, can you please describe what? Reception perception is, and what what is the methodology you use when evaluating these wide receiver draft prospects?
2: It's a charting methodology that I came up with about four years ago now. At this point, um, maybe more than that. Uh, and basically, what it is is I go in and I chart every single route that a receiver runs over an eight game sample for NFL players and a six game sample for college players. And uh, I chart what routes they run, how often they got open on each of those routes, against what type of coverage were they most successful. Um, And it really just kind of goes to paint a full view picture of how a wide receiver plays, uh, where they win on the field, what assignments are they being asked to do, what assignments are they executing well. And I think one thing that, like, again, I've been doing this now for four years, uh, started in the 2014 season for NFL players and started in the 2016 draft class for uh, prospects, actually little bit of 2015 guys you know got got some like brief looks this was before I worked for NFL Network and I didn't have all the access that I did the film that I do now but you know got some glimpses of some college guys back in that 2015 class too like Amari Cooper Devin Smith rest in peace Devin Smith uh, and uh, Kevin White and Doriel Green Beckham some of those guys and I think the one thing that I've learned especially when looking at college prospects but also NFL guys too that I'm not necessarily looking to say like, okay, well, you know, this guy has low success rates, so he sucks, or, you know, he's not good, or it's not really, I'm not trying to build like a pass-fail system. I think what I'm more interested in doing is trying to quantify as best I can where these players are good, like what roles they might fit in. So if you look at a player, you know, in his college film, he's not a great separator against man and press coverage, but, He does thrive on sort of intermediate routes and is really good against zone coverage. Then you might want to then you might look at him as a player, you know, like a Juju Smith Schuster was last year. He did not have a great success rate versus man coverage. Uh, And now, in hindsight, obviously, he had a really good rookie year. And I think I've just actually been charting his rookie season for reception perception. You see the Steelers, you know, move him inside, use him out of the slot a lot, use him on. Some of those in-breaking routes where he actually posts really good success rates on those patterns. And so, again, I think I think it's mostly is a tool that can really help us understand how the wide receivers play, not necessarily just like, is this guy good? Is this guy bad? Uh, So that that's kind of a long winded answer on how I think we can apply this uh, this this data.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned that it's been about four years. Do you mind mentioning how your methodology has changed over the last few years?
2: Yeah, I try to keep everything pretty constant because you know, if I was going to change something, then I'd have to go back and like re-log old data and I I don't I don't think I need to explain why I don't want to do that. I'd like to have some semblance of a social life, but I think one thing I've I've changed again is more so just like how I view the results. And I think that's probably the the best thing that you can get when you have a longer sample size, which is always a struggle with NFL stats because you know, we have 16 games of a regular season in the NFL, um, and then obviously playoffs and everything, but you're always constantly dealing in little small, minute sample sizes and trying to extrapolate truth from there, which is very difficult. But the longer that I've seen this data kind of normalize and and be able to see like, not only, okay, here's what reception perception thinks, but here's what actually plays out on the field. I think the application of the data is what's evolved more and more in, in that like, back in, you know, 2016 or, or something like that, I might have been tempted to say like, okay, this guy is going to be a bad prospect because he has these low like a low success rate versus man coverage for example, but now I kind of understand more like, okay, well let's look at what else he can do. Let's look at how like similar to that is to NFL receivers. Um, and, and what roles similar players fill in the NFL. And I think that has probably been the biggest change, is more so the application of it. The actual charting process really has been pretty static on purpose over the last four to five years that it's been around.
1: That's actually really interesting to, to note that you're looking for some of those, da- those talents that a player can apply going forward as an NFL player, and all those profiles that you've written historically can be found at receptionpreception.com.
2: correct yes yes for the yeah with the the partnership with the fantasy footballers that's where all of those are for the college players and um if you you can also at that link purchase uh the ultimate draft kit which is going to have all the nfl players data um and and there's some previous articles out there too at backyard banter but uh yeah that's where everything is right now all that
1: information and plus the articles and links that matt mentioned earlier are all going to be posted in the show notes so please go check those if you're interested now, let's get on to a little bit about some of the macro trends involving rookie wide receivers. We know that the 2018 offensive skill players, the RBs are considered to be very strong. The quarterbacks, are a lot of people are very excited about. And the tight ends, people can't stop talking about. But there's a lot of trepidation regarding the wide receivers. How do you think this wide receiver class shakes out compared to the 15, 16, and 17
2: classes? Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating, man. This, this whole draft, actually, I was tweeting about this uh, yesterday. It's it's so fascinating because I think that that so much of how we talk about this draft is very indicative of the way the league is going, not where it has been. And to kind of flesh that out a little bit, you know, when I hear people criticize Baker Mayfield for, you know, not making or playing in an offense that schemes open receivers and, and he throws the wider open windows, doesn't necessarily, you know, make a bunch of tight window throws, I'm like, well, do I really need to care about that anymore? Because most of the best offensive minds are designing layup throws for quarterbacks to create more efficient production. Um, when I hear people say, well, Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, if he has a weakness it's that he doesn't slam it up in between the tackles uh, with, with, with great regularity. And again, do I really need to care about that? Because we don't ask running backs to slam it up between the tackles, 20 to 25 times a game. The fact he's a better receiver and can be an elite Outside runner is probably more important in today's NFL. And when it comes to the wide receiver position, I think the biggest criticism of this class is, well, there's no elite number one like Julio Jones type of prospect. And I, and that's true. I think that is that is accurate uh, on the surface. However, again, do I really need to care about that when we're seeing some of the best offenses in the NFL right now, you know, at not necessarily find this one, number one receiver, this, this center of the universe of the passing game and run everything through him. We're seeing offensive coordinators like Sean McVay, uh, head coaches and offensive minds like Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, uh, Doug Peterson with the Eagles. The New England Patriots have obviously been doing this for years. You know, they don't have this traditional number one receiver. Actually, I tweeted out a quote uh, from Kyle Shanahan talking about if you have that player like a Julio Jones – it's great. You should keep it. You should use it. It's it's fun to have. It. It, it gives you a lot of options. But really what you need is a bunch of wide receivers who can beat man coverage, get open, function in highly specific roles. And I think that's where the value of this draft class is, is that I think we have a lot of those type of players that if they find their way to the right team, to the right fit, they can be some of these role players. And, and just like on those four offenses that I mentioned, I don't think any – I would argue that none of them have like a true number one receiver, just like there's no true number one receiver in this draft class. But they have a lot of guys that can function in roles, and I think we have a lot of those players in this class, which could, which could make it honestly a, a more immediate – like a, a class that brings more immediate production because of the good route runners and technicians that, and slot receivers that are in this class.
1: Yeah, and that's something that I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about because you mentioned – that there are no number one wide receivers and you also think that this class is going to be able to contribute a little bit more in your mind. What do you think are the other overarching factors that have uh, sort of stifled rookie wide receiver production since that Epic 2014
2: class? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I tweeted this out a couple days ago too, but uh sports illustrated put out an article, former NFL media colleague, Connor Orr actually wrote it. Uh, and he talked to Ricky Proll, the former Panthers wide receiver coach and he went through some of the technical reasons of why these receivers have not transitioned as well a few of them like the fact like that a lot of colleges ask their receivers to just line up on one side of the field and just master three routes that's very 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 different uh than what we're seeing nfl players do i mean if you never see a receiver line up like more than 60 percent of the of the time on one side of the field you have to be more versatile you have to be able to move around uh, because if you're just mastering timing your breaks and running routes from one side of the field, that's very that's very different to then flip it completely over and do it to the other side when your muscle memory is just so trained to do it from the right or the left. So that, that is, there are those issues, some of those technique issues uh, that we've seen guys like you know Corey Coleman, Laquan Treadwell. These are players that that haven't transitioned as well uh, because of that. You know Green was another one. But at the same time, too, like, I also think it's important to remember that we've had a lot of bad luck. We've had some injuries to some of these top level guys. You know, you think about Kevin White, you think about Josh Doxson, some of these guys that I think had potential, uh, but just have never been able to get, haven't yet got off the map because of injuries. So that's another factor. But to speak just to more of the transition part of it, I think the fact, like, I think the league is waking up to the fact, like, to this whole role player aspect of the wide receiver position. And the guys who can translate really well early have been guys that are good route runners. You know, the technical type players like Juju Smith-Schuster, I talked about earlier, uh, who functioned in a really specific role and was good in it. Michael Thomas was a great route runner, a professional coming out of college. So was Sterling Shepard. Those guys have been kind of the the outlier receivers that did produce right away when given the shot. So I think and I think there's a lot of players like that in this class, which makes it so intriguing to me as a potential outlier in terms of these wide receivers contributing right away if they land in the right spot.
1: And that's something for everyone to keep in mind as we go into, you know, startup drafts and drafts. I know Matt and I have been talking a little bit about that. And if you're looking for a place to play, let me tell you about our friends over at the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. For most people, it's the off-season, but not for the FFPC. If you're ready to draft now, as I've been doing, the FFPC Best Ball Leagues are drafting daily with entry fees starting at just $35. dollars they have both slow and live drafts. Additionally, if you like Dynasty, and I assume you do because you're listening to the Road of His Draft show, The FFPC has almost 200 active dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. And here's something incredible. Not a single dynasty league has folded in eight years. New dynasty leagues are forming right now with startup drafts launching right after the NFL draft. So take some of the knowledge that Matt is dropping right here and apply that. In your draft, as you go on over at the FFPC, don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. All right, Matt, thanks so much. Now we can get into some more of the specific players that we we're looking at. Thanks for all the macro trends and insight that you've been giving. Recently on NFL.com, you discussed several top wide receiver prospects in the NFL comparisons, and again, I'll put that link in the show notes. In your opinion, who do you think grades out as the best wide receiver in this class?
2: Yeah, that's really tough. I have said on Twitter that I'm not going to do any rankings because nobody's paying for the rankings. So uh, if no one that's paying the money is not asking for it, there's really no reason to do it. Because I think rankings, too, are, are a little bit conf- – they, they can get people confused. I, and with this class specifically, I don't think there's a ton of separation between you know the player you'd rank number one versus the player you'd rank number 10. Uh, I've seen about 10 to 15 guys from the top of this draft class, and, and a lot of them I think are very, very similar. I, I would say that if I had to push for like a top three, I think it would be uh, – I think you'd have to – I think DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, and Anthony Miller would be probably like my three favorites, um, and then that would follow up with guys like Equinemius, St. Brown, Deshaun Hamilton, and James Washington. See, this is like I get to six there with James Washington. I'm like, oh, man, I could I could slide him up. <laughs> up at number one or number two. So I I think that there's just not a lot of separation between the guys you'd rank, where you'd rank them one versus where you'd rank them six or 10 or 15 or what have you. It's a a really interesting class in that regard. Yeah, and I'll be
1: honest and let you know that Everyone who reads Rodevis knows this, but we have a massive, massive crush over on DJ Moore. He's got a an incredibly low breakout age. He tested incredibly well at the Combine. He also posted an absolute beastly dominated rating despite playing with four different quarterbacks in the, over the last season. What are your thoughts on, on, on DJ Moore? What does he
2: do well? And what is his best NFL comp? Love him, yeah. He was actually kind of like the meaty topper to that wide receiver piece you discussed on NFL.com because I got a chance to interview him for the piece and talk about his game, talk about his player comparison, which I said was Golden Tate, and he said that that was a good one. So that's always nice to be a little validated there. Um, I really like Tate in that sort of uh, – I mean, excuse me, I really like more in that Tate sort of mold, you know playing a lot from the slot, running short to intermediate routes. But it, the reason I think those two guys are so comparable is not only do they separate on similar patterns, um, and I think that they're good route runners, but for their size, they're also really tough after the catch, and they're solid in tight coverage. Um, they both bring that combative edge to the to the game, especially with the ball in their hands. Um, so I really like more in that role. You know, that might not be – Again, that might not be sexy enough for some people to rank more the number one receiver in this class. I, I know, especially some people that watch film think he doesn't take contact well. Um, I think that there's a lot of people that that don't think he can play on the outside. But but again, it kind of comes back to that question I was asking earlier. You know, so what? Like if he can produce in this role, maybe it's not that the the most high profile role, but Tate has been a super productive player at the NFL level. He's had 90 catches in each of his four seasons with the Lions. And I think if you take DJ Moore at the end of round one, you're going to you're gonna like that. I mean, you're going to take that, especially if you're a team that needs what I would say is a receiver who's going to create layup throws. I mentioned that earlier, talking about uh, Allen Robinson and Matt Nagy's offense. But there's a lot of teams right now that have – really struggled with their quarterbacks having to rifle the ball into tight coverage too often because they're constantly throwing down the field to wide receivers who don't get separation. Two teams that really stick out to me in that regard are the Cowboys, who obviously just released a receiver like that, and Des Bryant. I think DJ Moore could be their pick at 19 if they want someone to create more of of those layup throws for Dak Prescott. Um, and Carolina, I know they, lo- I know for sure they love, love, love DJ Moore, and I think he would be a great fit to to help Cam Newton in that regard. You know, they they were kind of overcorrected on all vertical threats and all big receivers to to help with his accuracy issues. But I think they started to kind of show last year with drafting McCaffrey that having somebody to give him more of those layup throws would be really helpful. So the, I, I love I love Moore all around, and I, I wouldn't argue if anybody thinks he's the best receiver in the class.
1: You mentioned that, like, so do you think that like, DJ Moore is going to be a perennial slot receiver in the wide receiver, or do you think he can actually play on the outside as opposed to, you know, because when people think of Golden Tate, they just think of this guy who's productive out of the slot. And, and what are your thoughts for that in DJ Moore?
2: Tate has actually played a little bit outside, you know, here and there. He is primarily a slot receiver, like you mentioned, but back, like back in 2016— um he was playing a little bit out of the slot or he was playing a little bit more outside and then obviously last year with with their kind of their ideal three wide receiver set would be kenny galladay marvin jones and then golden tate on the inside i think that's kind of the role you're looking at for more you know he can play the, the one the one thing that did that did come out as a question mark in his reception perception evaluation was he was just belo- he was below the average against press coverage which i think you can alleviate again trying to Say that like okay, this doesn't mean he's he's bad, but what it means is how do we work around that? Uh, you know, Bill Belichick I think recently said that it's it's all about like tell me what a player can do, not what he can't do. Um, and I think the way you can work around Moore's weakness against press coverage there is by having him play as a flanker, get a free release off the line of scrimmage when he does play outside. And so I think he'll probably be like a thirty percent outside, seventy percent slot guy. It um, could do a little, have a little bit of versatility in that regard.
1: Yeah, and that's actually something to to be pretty mindful of because again, DJ Moore is the second youngest wide receiver prospect in this class, and I'm sure he can slowly adjust his game as he gets into the NFL. You mentioned Calvin Ridley, who's a very controversial wide receiver, given his he's slightly older as a slightly older prospect, but he's not that old in my opinion. He's about the same age as D.D. Westbrook and Kenny Galladay were when they, when coming out. So I was curious. What what makes you so positive on Calvin Ridley? Because the sentiment against him seems to be negative and he didn't have a particularly stellar combine.
2: Yeah, it's funny because coming into this process, you know, I mentioned earlier that there's not a lot of separation between number one and number 10. However, before the offseason kind of started or at the beginning of draft season, The consensus among at least like big media draft places was that Calvary Ridley was the clear cut number one receiver. And then there was then the gap started at two to 10. I didn't really ever see it that way. I think you can poke holes in in Ridley's game from a pure on-field perspective. I don't think he profiles out as a clear number one receiver, but I do think he's again going to be a good long-term, mostly outside flanker receiver again to get that free release from press coverage but also can move into the slot, you know. Kind of. No, I don't think he's as good of a. He's going to be as good of a player as this guy is, but kind of like Stefan Diggs, who's been able to thrive both on the inside and especially on the outside this past season. I could see Ridley kind of being that type of player too. Uh, I know that there's a lot of negatives with his on-field or his off-field profile, and not not like off-field, you know, behavior-wise, but you know, with the combine. Uh, with his age, as you mentioned, is is at least up there for a rookie wide receiver. But I think what he does well, which is create separation and all, at all levels of the field, I think there's going to be value in that for sure. So I don't think he'll be a player that will – he might not have like the highest ceiling, but I think he's a, a high floor player for sure. So I, I think that he's, he's, he's in the top three in this class to me. I, I see more of the, the positives than the negatives, but there are very real negatives, and that's why I don't think he's like the clear-cut number one guy.
1: The thing that makes Calvin Ridley interesting in rookie drafts probably is if you're playing a sharper league, it's quite possible that Ridley just continues to slide down draft boards because of all the negative external factors, and you could probably draft him in the mid to late second, and that makes him a screaming value anyway, so go right ahead and hit that draft button. Anthony Miller is actually an interesting guy. You had to round out the three that came off the top of your head. Talk to me a little bit about him because he's I'm of the, you know, I I was following all the different factors we have here at Rotaviz, including Anthony Amico's fantastic prospect model. Someone like Cortland Sutton or or Equinemius St. Brown or Michael Gallup would fit that mold a little better. So I'm curious to hear your take on uh, Anthony Miller and what makes him so spectacular.
2: Yeah, I really like Miller because like he's, again, another one I think is probably going to play mostly out of the slot. He was like about a 43% slot receiver in his reception perception sample. But when you look at his game, Yeah, he he does mostly run routes from the inside, but he wins vertically and on contested catches, which is not what you'd really expect from a slot receiver. You know, we're thinking more that he's going to, you know, be just a short area receiver and and get him in space – And Miller's good at that, too. But what surprised me when you look at his uh, route tree graphics for reception perception, which got a nice little makeover from the fantasy footballers this year, they look look pretty good. Uh, You see that he scores out at least average or above average on deep patterns, too. And I think that's what's going to be such a fascinating part to watch about his career. Because if you look at some of the slot receivers, in my opinion, one of the best slot receivers in the NFL is Doug Baldwin. And I think what makes him so unique is, yeah, he's mostly a slot guy, but He wins on tight. He wins in tight coverage and he wins down the field. He is a vertical threat. His vertical numbers are pretty good over the last few years. So I think that's why I kind of see like those two as similar players. I think Miller could be just kind of a, a, a value when when you look at the actual NFL draft. I think he might not he might not be as popular um, he might not have like the the same number one prototypical number one ceiling of a guy like Cortland Sutton or Equanime St. Brown, like you mentioned, but I think he has a, a ability to to create big plays and especially again running routes in the slot that should be pretty beneficial.
1: So that's actually kind of interesting. You mentioned his big plays because he had. Five games with over 150 receiving yards and five games with multiple touchdowns in 2017. He went over 1,400 yards the last two seasons, and he had 14 touchdowns in 2016 and 17 touchdowns in 2017. Sure, he's a little bit older, but for those of you who are big fans of the Dominator rating, he's got a 0.39 and a 0.4 dominated rating, and the only thing probably dragging down his draft stock would be his age, which, after listening to Matt, I'm all in. I think this guy would be fantastic if I have a late second and he falls to me there. So... Switching up gears a little bit because you, I heard you talk a little bit about slot and Anthony Miller playing the slot. What are your thoughts on Christian Kirk because I've heard him just sort of be considered the prototypical slot guy in this in this draft class, and I know he has some concerns, but I saw I, was, I would love to get your uh, idea and thoughts on Christian Kirk.
2: Yeah, he's the one that I got to interview too. I actually met him in person when he was at the NFL Network, so I got to sit down and talk to him. He really is uh, very impressive in terms of just how professional and well put together, and dedicated he he comes across. He talked about wanting to play, wanting to get shots to play on the outside because you know to to quote him, that's where number one receivers play. You know, if you've listened to me talk so far, you can tell them. I think more and more the NFL should be looking to maximize the slot receiver position because I tweeted this graphic out about about our next gen stats and what they show about targets that go to the outside versus targets that go to the slot. You see a lot less press coverage. You see a lot less tight window targets when you target receivers out of the slot. And again, I think that just is a way to create more efficiently more efficiency through your passing game. So, the slot receiver position is more important than ever. And Christian Kirk to me just seems like a really solid, reliable player. He has good hands, didn't have any drops over his reception perception sample. He's another one that, despite his size, he shows up with a really good contested catch conversion rate. Obviously, not something he was asked to do a lot because he does primarily work in space in the middle of the field on shorter routes. But when he was targeted in contested situations, he converted. And he kind of reminds me of a player like Randall Cobb in that way. When Cobb has been at his best, He's obviously been a super reliable player, but he's also been a factor down in the red zone. And I think that's the area where Christian Kirk could really show himself well is, again, in those tight spaces. Not only does he get open by reading zone coverage and diagnosing plays well, but even when a receiver is kind of caught up to him, probably down in the scoring area – you see him go, be able to go up and win the football in the air in, in tight coverage uh, in on contested catches. So that's where I'm I'm excited to see if he lands in the in the right spot. I mean, I think he could end up being one of the more productive guys in this class that, that kind of has gone a little. I mean, he's he's well ranked everywhere, but I just don't see much discussion about him.
1: What team do you think would be a good fit for Christian Kirk here?
2: Yeah, I mentioned obviously Green Bay still has Randall Cobb, but. He's on a high salary figure. If they kind of want to draft his replacement, that would be one. He would be kind of a lesser, I, I think DJ Moore is a better prospect than him. So I don't know that like in some of the, but some of those teams I mentioned earlier, Carolina could use a full-time slot receiver that, that fits really well there. Honestly, I just, I think he's the type of player that fits any team. If they, if they need that slot receiver, which most people probably do, but for fantasy and him creating a bunch of production, then you want to see him kind of go to a, a team that, that, that has that need. And also is a high te- is a, is an tempo passing. game. one that just kind of jumped out at the top of my head is like a team like Denver that I like Carlos Henderson. I think he, he was someone that I really liked from last year's draft class. And I know they want him to be the slot receiver, but if they want to draft more depth at that position and, or potentially an alternative, they would be, a, they would be a team to look at there.
1: Yeah. I mean, Christian Kirk in Denver, plus with Case Keenum at the helm, that that's a pretty good way to put it. He'll probably slot in behind Sanders and Thomas, Ezreal Henderson, so it'll be an interesting battle if that's where he ends up being drafted. Let's talk a little bit about guys who dominated in 2016 and weren't as dominant in 2017, and we'll start with the obvious guy, Portland Sutton here. Uh, what were your thoughts when you were profiling him, and what is his best NFL comp?
2: Yeah, I think his best NFL comp is Demarius Thomas, who we were just talking about with Denver earlier. I, and and so that you can kind of take that a lot of different ways, but the way that I like to look at it, that comparison is, you know, Demarius Thomas is freaky fast for his size. Cortland Sutton is freaky quick for his size. So there's that part of it, but I also think it could give you a re- more realistic look at how Cortland Sutton's career could pan out. He shows up really well on after the like plays where he gets in space after the catch again, that's one of the strengths of Demarius Thomas's game. But I think he's definitely technically raw as a route runner. You know, he did not show up well against press coverage. He did not show elite against zone and, and man coverage. So I think there's still some work to do there. He's definitely, like I said, definitely technically raw as a route runner, but so was Thomas coming out. Um, and he's kind of got off to a slow start because of that. And because of injuries as well, but what really jump started Thomas's career was obviously Peyton Manning came and that and with with Manning came a hyper specific role where, yeah, Thomas, we know you only run these three routes, but you're just gonna run them over and over again, and we're gonna get you in space to make plays after the catch. And that's why he ended up producing these massive numbers. And I think with Sutton, he's probably very landing spot sensitive because of that. Like I think he could develop into a great receiver. But I think it's going to take the right fit, and I think it might take a little bit of time, too. So the way I look at it for, like, rookie drafts or just projecting his NFL career, if Sutton goes to, like, the Jaguars at the end of the first round, that would really be kind of like a bummer because I don't know that I trust them to put their wide receivers in a position to succeed, and obviously they're not, like, building a great passing ecosystem with Blake Bortles there anyways. But if he goes to a team, you know, like Green Bay, who needs another big play receiver – um, another potential outside guy after releasing Jordy Nelson, I think that would be a great fit. And then I feel really good about him. So he's going to be somebody that, you know, my opinion could change drastically based on where he lands because of some of the reasons I laid out.
1: Yeah. And uh, to keep in line with guys who we're, we're looking at in, in a similar mold, what are your thoughts on Equinemius St. Brown?
2: Yeah, I love St. Brown, man. He's somebody I probably should have mentioned earlier when I was talking about some of the best receivers in this class. Cause to me, you know, this is why I, I love doing what I do. You know, obviously you mentioned he had a better 2016 than a better 2017. So was kind of a, not sure what to expect when diving into charting his game film and charting every single route over the over those games. But what I saw was a player consistently create separation and consistently get open, even when he wasn't being thrown the ball, when the quarterback wasn't willing to pull the trigger or didn't want to take those chances to throw downfield. But I saw St. Brown get open on vertical plays. Uh, I saw him also get open on short to intermediate routes. Um, I saw him was show out really well after the catch and on contested catches too. He kind of reminds me of like a Martavis Bryant type of player, like the good parts of Martavis Bryant. Like you can, use, you can get him into space to get him some of those big plays after the catch. You can also trust him as a vertical threat. But I think we could all agree that Bryant, before he was suspended for an entire season, was kind of on that upward trajectory to be, you know, a 1B type of receiver to Antonio Brown's, you know, elite 1A. And I think St. Brown, if he lands in the right spot, could kind of go along that uh, that same path. And I know there are a lot of narratives about him as like he doesn't try or he's disinterested or whatever, whatever. I didn't really see that. And so, again, that's why I like to do what I do, because I'm not dealing in, like, narratives or guesswork or, like, I think that this guy was thinking this or I think that he was disinterested. You know, I'm just recording, like, what happens. And, and when you do that, I think it shows really well for uh, St. Brown as a guy who gets open against a variety of different patterns or against a variety of different coverages and separates at all levels of the field.
1: Yeah, and so would you think it's team like the Seattle Seahawks would be a good landing spot for St Brown.
2: Oh yeah, that's a great that's a great call. We were talking about like with Dez earlier. They definitely need more options at the wide receiver position after losing a player like Paul Richardson who kind of similar again wins in tight spaces and wins down the field. I think Equanimity St Brown could fill some of that, fill some of that spot right away and then potentially develop into more of, you know, Russell Wilson's long-term number 1 outside receiver. That that's a really good call by you.
1: Thanks. I just I was just thinking of shallow depth chart, and I figure you know a guy like uh, Sam Brown might just be a little bit better at doing that than Jerome Brown, but we never know. It's weird we're gonna wait this long to talk about James Washington, who is the Litnikoff winner from last season, but just sort of speaks to kind of what you mentioned, which is there's no clear-cut number one wide receiver prospect. There's like the degrees of separation are very like microscopic. What are your thoughts on James Washington as a as an NFL prospect, although he had a slightly disappointing
2: NFL combine? Yeah, James Washington was the first player I wrote up for reception perception. And I really like him a lot. You know, so let's, let's look at him from just kind of what he does really well. I think he has two trump card traits, which when I say that, it's just like something that he does that, you know, you can stop him the first three times doing whatever. But if he goes on the fourth try, he's going to get over on you because he's just too good at this. And that's Winning down the field and winning on contested catches, he's really similar to me like Marvin Jones was. When you look at our next-gen stats, uh, I, t- I published lists on tight window throws, and I published lists on d- on our top deep threats. Jones popped up on both of those lists. He was great down the field and great at winning in tight spaces, and I think James Washington is very, very similar to Jones in that regard. And the question with him is just going to be, is he going to develop you know into more than that? I think he can. I think he definitely shows – the ability to run routes to win off press cut win press against press coverage off the line of scrimmage, but even if he doesn't, I think he's going to bring value as a big play threat. And because of that, he's someone that I think in the second round I would I would love to draft if I needed a big play wide receiver. I, I I've, I've mocked him, you know, in my head. I don't do any official mocks, but like one spot that I think it would be great for him is like in Carolina because I, I mentioned they definitely need a receiver to kind of create those layup throws for Cam Newton, but. They also need somebody that wins on contested catches consistently and wins as a vertical threat. I, I know Curtis Samuel is there to kind of be their vertical receiver, but after such a topsy-turvy, injury-prone rookie season, I don't know that they should necessarily just count on that. So he's somebody that I think could could be interesting to them in in that regard.
1: Yeah, and another, and another depth chart that's fairly shallow and assuming they go ahead and take a, a quarterback in the first, Arizona would make for a pretty interesting Landing spot for James Washington, and so so DJ Chark was arguably one of the bigger winners at the, at the NFL Combine. He showed you know blazing speed, and although his production history at LSU is kind of mixed, I was just wondering. I am completely I mean, unable to get a handle on on Chark as a as a wide receiver prospect. I was wondering if
2: you had any thoughts. Yeah, to me, he he kind of seems like you, your run of the mill deep threat. What's fascinating about him. I, I'm, I agree with you. I, I kind of struggle to get like a handle on him, but LSU did a pretty decent job of. I don't want to give them too much credit because like anytime, <laughs> anytime I see a wide receiver prospect from LSU coming into the draft, I kind of like, kind of grown a little bit because they're such a boring offense to watch at the college level. Um, but I, I will give them some props for using him pretty intuitively, like uh, or at least creatively. Like he took 31.7 percent of his snaps out of the slot in his reception perception sample, and I think that's probably a good idea for his NFL team to do too because. Again, you can use him to get some of those the free releases from press coverage. I, I, even though he profiles size and speed wise as an X receiver, I don't really see him as being that full time, full time guy out there. I think he can create big plays, no doubt about it. When you look at his reception perception, those are the routes he's best on: the the post, the corner, the nine. But I don't know that I see him. There, there's some signals that I think he could develop into more than that, but. I would be caught. There's a lot. I would just put it this way. There's a lot of guys that I I like better than Chark. Would Michael Gallup be one of those guys by any chance? Yeah, I like Michael Gallup. I know he's PFF's number one receiver, but he's another guy that I don't see too many people talking about. He's not a great separator when you look at his uh, reception perception. You know, he kind of tests out average on 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 a variety of different ways but one thing i do think he's great at is winning contested catches i mean he is just dominant at the catch point at the college level um and on the routes that he is successful you know the curl the dig the post some of those in breaking routes i I think he in that in that factor the way he runs those routes really well and the fact that he's great at the catch point he kind of reminds me of michael crabtree in that in that way um. Again, I don't think he's the separator that Michael Crabtree is, or the player that the last player that I compared to Michael Crabtree in the NFL draft was Michael Thomas a few years ago. I think Gallup's kind of a poor man's version of of those players. Uh, obviously, I don't know that he's going to hit like Michael Thomas, you know, outrageous levels of of production, but I think he could fill a similar role. And because he's good on those specific routes, and he has a dominant trait in his uh, in his catch rate on contested catches that could be a spot that gets him immediate playing time. He's going to be someone that I think I would push up a lot if he goes to a great spot. Again, much like Michael Thomas did when he went to kind of the dream landing spot in the New Orleans Saints. If if Gallup can find his way onto a team that I think he'd be a great fit on, um, I would be willing to get aggressive in in rookie drafts and, and kind of target him there.
1: Another older prospect, but I know here's one that you're pretty bullish on going into this. NFL draft is Deshaun Hamilton so I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about him he was overshadowed by Chris Godwin over two years but he had a pretty stellar freshman and
2: senior year so just
1: wondering what your thoughts were on him as a prospect
2: oh hell yeah man I love Deshaun Hamilton I mean I always like these Penn State receivers I was a big fan of Chris Godwin last year too and um, the reason was, like, obviously, th- these two guys could not be any more different in the ter- in terms of, like, how they were used in college. You know, Hamilton ran about 97% of his snaps from the slot in his reception-perception c- sample. Chris Godwin almost never went inside in his sample from the 2017 draft. So from a usage perspective, they're very, very different that way. Um, and I think that, obviously, Chris Godwin kind of profiles as more of that – athletic ex-receiver, whereas uh, Deshaun Hamilton is obviously much more of a short area slot receiver. But what makes these guys stand out in a methodology like reception perception is their technique is so good. Uh, I talked to the former Penn State receiver coach, Josh Gaddis, who actually got a promotion is at, uh, at University of Alabama right now. And he's even said, like, the way you chart receivers, the way you evaluate the position really helps highlight the what I coach in these guys, which is It doesn't matter what type of player you are. If you run good routes and you create separation and you're just consistent with your technique, you're going to be good. You know, you're going to get on the field. You're going to execute well. And that's what I see out of Deshaun Hamilton. He has the best success rate versus man coverage in this class. He has the best success rate versus press coverage in this class. He actually did see about 46 press attempts, which is slightly slightly above average uh, in terms of what you'd see from uh, a college receiver prospect. Uh, even though he was playing on the inside. So he shows a good release off the line of scrimmage. And, and I, I, you see him just get open at all areas of the field. Uh, and I'm just really excited. If he lands on a spot that, that needs a slot receiver, I think you could see him produce right away. Um, he's someone I would look at, at the se- in the late second, early third round of the NFL draft. He's just going to be one of those guys that goes later than he should and, and produces numbers. And, and one other thing on him, too. Uh, well, two other things. One, I know that some people have like concerns about his hands I don't know where that came from. Um, maybe I'm wrong about this. Like in previous years, there was Nelson Aguilar who was not, didn't have any concerns with his hands coming out um, in his of of his previous year in college, but struggled with drops earlier in college. And then obviously, because that's the way drops are, they're very highly fluctuating year to year. It's been like an issue and then a non-issue at the NFL level. But for whatever reason, Deshaun Hamilton and his reception perception sample. Didn't show big problems with drops and actually was a really good contested catch player. Uh, So I don't have any concerns about his hands. I think he's a great route runner and and can really be a a high-end slot receiver. And he's just an awesome story off the field, too. He actually comes from Stafford, Virginia, uh, which is the town south of just where I grew up. He has a great story. I'd encourage anybody to go Google it about him and his autistic brother and their relationship. So he's just a guy that I'm, I'm 100% rooting for, not just because I think he's he seems like a good guy and has a good story, but also uh, because I think he's a really, really good player.
1: That's actually really interesting color because I'm a Penn State fan and I wasn't even aware of that. And just as a really quick question, in one of my recent his pieces, I noted that Deshaun Hamilton is would be a more affordable quote-unquote affordable or an arbitrage version of Calvin Ridley in your rookie draft in that he'll be going later is that something that you think
2: uh, do the games kind of line up from what you've seen 100% agree with that Uh, I mean even if you want to take it a step further you know he's kind of the arbitrage DJ Moore to me because I see both of these guys as mostly slot receivers especially Hamilton more so than Moore because that's exactly what he did in college Uh, so whereas Moore is probably going to be a first-round rookie pick uh, same with uh, Calvin Ridley if you're a team in the NFL draft that misses out on one of those guys, I would definitely think, like like I mentioned Carolina earlier, you know, if they if they they want to target DJ Moore at the 24th pick but for whatever reason he's not there and then they target an interior offensive lineman, then I think they're a team. They've, they've had him in for a visit. They sent their wide receiver coach up to Penn State for his pro day. They're a team that could look at him in the second to third round of the NFL draft to kind of create a similar role.
1: That's actually really, really interesting. I'm going to get you out in this one last prospect. This is a guy who I wrote up. I'm, I was fairly bullish on him, and I've still been bullish on him despite his poor or lackluster combine, I guess. He kind of underperformed my expectations. Kiki QT, I was wondering what your thoughts are on him.
2: Yeah, I like him. I know he's a big favorite of my my friend Sigmund Blooms. He likes him a lot. He's another guy that, you know, you talk about arbitrage play. I think people will chase DJ Chark because of his time, speed, and because I do think he he profiles on the field as a good vertical threat and reception perception, but I think Kiki Cutie can be that same guy. You know, I mean, at worst, you're going to probably get somebody that can tactically challenge the defense on on deep passes, but if he develops beyond that, and I haven't talked much about him because I just haven't written him up yet for reception perception, but I think there's some signs to show that he could potentially be that guy. So that's a good call by you. He's someone that I think is – probably a sleeper in this draft class
1: the one thing that i found that was interesting when i was researching him is that he was used uh, on special teams and he returned eight kickoffs for 253 yards and a score in 2017 what are your closing thoughts on on these prospects and how, and how do you think it's gonna do you think this is going to be a bit of a surprise uh, going forward uh, that these guys are actually produce a little bit more than what we've seen in the past
2: yeah i think yeah no i think after listening, you know, to this conversation, I think your listeners probably have a good idea of like where these guys win, what they do well on the field and what teams they would potentially fit in and so I think you want to pay attention to where these guys go, but I think a lot of them could be high-end contributors, especially these guys that we talked about as, like, slot receivers, you know, the Dachon Hamiltons, the DJ Moores, the Christian Kirks. Um, But then beyond that, you know, you look at guys like Michael Gallup and Equinemius St. Brown and and, and all those players, too. James Washington is another one the more perimeter receivers that if they find the right homes for their skill sets, they could produce really well. I I do think this class is going to surprise some people. Maybe again, it's not going to have this elite number one receiver. I I don't think that it does. I don't even know if these, maybe some of these guys like Sutton or St. Brown could potentially fill that role down the line. But even if it doesn't, I think some of these guys are going to fill, fill roles in and be productive. And, you know, for, for fantasy and, and even for real life too. The more, I've, the more I've looked at the game and the more I've, I've studied it, Like, I don't really care how you're doing it if you're doing it. And, and I think a lot of these guys are going to produce in that fashion um, and maybe they won't get the extra style points or whatever, but I definitely think you're going to see some productive pros in this draft class.
1: That's going to do it for today's edition of his Draft Series. I'm Hassan Rahim. You can find me on Twitter at HRR5010. Thanks again to our guest, Matt Harmon, who you can find on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Thank you for listening to the Road of His Draft Series. Please rate us with the Road of His Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Road of His at a 30% discount through the Road of His Radio homepage, Road of
0: The wait is finally over. Knotfest oh, Roadshow is back. Soul, the of the me. October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. We are not talking featuring Slipknot. With Killswitch Engage, Beaver 333, and Code Orange. Oh, Tickets on sale now at livenation.com. Part of the Metris Warehouse Concert
2: Series.